0: So welcome everyone um, and welcome back to those who joined us last week and a very warm welcome to all of you joining us for the first time this time today. My name is Tanisara and I am the moderator and host for our conversation Mindfulness Dharma and Climate Action. We live in increasingly precarious times in regard to the impact on the natural environment from our ways of living. It is clear that unless we radically change our relationship to Mother Earth, to each other, and to ourselves, we will jeopardize a sustainable world for future generations. To explore these issues today, I'd like to welcome our teachers, who I'm very grateful that have uh, joined us. We have uh, Aya Anandabodi Bikuni from Wales who is a Theravada nun in the forest tradition for over 20 years, currently living in Placerville, which is the Northern Bay Area near Sacramento in California. Reverend Angel Kyodo Williams, who is author of Black Zen and the Art of Living with Fearlessness and Grace, founder of Transformative Change, which is based in Berkeley, California. And Susie Harrington, guiding teacher, for Desert Dorama based in Mohab, Utah. So welcome to our teachers, who will be reflecting on the uh, global issue of climate change as it interacts with the deeper social causes and issues of justice, and so we look forward to exploring that together. But first, before we move to our teachers, I'd also like to introduce our team which is a Kristen Barker, co-founder of One Earth Sangha and member of Washington, D.C. Insight, Yong Oh, teacher at Chattanooga Insight in Tennessee, and Barry Bettman, who is representing and helping us host through Maestro Conference today. So thank you to all of our team in the background. And to Lou Leonard, I'd like to welcome Lou, who is also co-founder of One Earth Sangha, and leader of climate change program, the World Wildlife Fund, who um, is also helping us and supporting us with the science input. So welcome to everyone, and just before I hand over to Lou to also introduce himself and welcome us again, I'd just like to encourage us as we arrive into this call together and into this space, uh, and also to engage this really very uh, intense issue to just take a deep breath and to really as we take that breath to feel ourselves coming into our body into our seat and into our presence so that we bring our attention here to the sensation of our body the feet touching the ground and the pressure of the sensation of our sitting and as we connect with that we're connecting with this earth element and this body is part of the earth element and the element of the breath and the warmth in the body. Just so taking a few deep breaths as we arrive here together. So, uh, Lou, if I could uh, hand over to you, please, to um, introduce yourself again and um, welcome us and introduce our, uh, Ananda Bodhi as our first speaker.
1: Thank, thank you, Tanisra, and And welcome, everyone. As Sinistra said, I'm helping support this conversation with some background on the science and policy of climate change. And you will have all received a background paper that was prepared by Kriti Kanko, a scientist at the Environmental Defense Fund, and I That describes some of the basics of of the science and if you haven't received that just let us know send us an email and we will get that out to you Um, for this call it's it's very appropriate that we should look at some of the equity and justice elements of of the climate uh, crisis because those those concepts are really at the heart of both the causes and harmful effects of climate change and there's a couple of elements of the science that are useful to have in your mind as we enter this conversation. Um, and that is that the gas emission um, for, for many, many years uh, carbon dioxide, the most significant greenhouse gas um, once it's deposited in our atmosphere, lasts for centuries. Um, and the second thing to know um, is that Unlike other forms of pollution, the, um, the effects of um, greenhouse gases are felt cumulatively over time. so the emissions that were deposited by burning coal for instance in the United States and Europe uh, in the 1800s and in the last century um, effects in our atmosphere contributing to the warming that we 're feeling today. You could think of it like a, like a bathtub where we are up with pollution, and uh, and very So it it um, it moves out of the system much more slowly than when we put it in. Um, and right now we are we are adding. Um, uh,
0: uh, Lou, Lou, uh, just to interrupt you, Tanisra. Here, you're you're breaking up quite a lot. So I'm wondering whether we should hand to uh, Aya Anandabodi and then come back, because at the end of the the teachers, um, you're going to speak to us a bit more about the science import.
1: That sounds great. Thank you, Tanisra.
0: So um, Aya Anandabodi, if again I can welcome you, and uh, thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm really looking forward to uh, sharing this presence and space with you and um, your words. Thank you, Aya.
2: Thank you so much Tanisha. i'm uh, very grateful that this is happening, and uh, for all the organizers who've who've made this these calls happen and uh, When I f- came to America five years ago, uh, I sent a tutor and I would speak about climate change and about our concerns and we were told we don't want you to talk about those things. we want you to talk about Dharma, about enlightenment, about inspiring aspects and uh, so we you were know, quiet for some time, but it's, uh, once one is conscious of the severity of the seriousness of the situation that we are all in, you know, it's, it's pretty impossible to stay quiet. So I'm very heartened to see that now people are beginning to speak in the Dharma communities, are beginning to speak more openly and publicly about the, the realities of, of climate change and how we can meet that. So I know um, for a long time people would just find it overwhelming, it's all just too much, I don't want to go there because it's too big, I don't know what to do. Or sometimes uh, I've heard that Dharma teachers shouldn't speak about climate change because it's political. So uh, these are all reasons why for a long time, for many years, it's been silent or just quietly whispered here and there. So I'm very grateful that this is being opened up now because I feel it's, it's vital that we bring this into this awareness of the of the reality of the context within which we are living. That we bring this into our into our practice and into our right action in the world. So I see the the climate situation. Yes, it is political, and there, there does need to be political change. And it is social because it affects. First of all, people in more disadvantaged situations worldwide and eventually all of us people and animals and forests and you know, land you know, we're all, uh, uh, those who can't uh, speak up themselves often are the first affected um so it's you know it's, it has massive repercussions, and it is also an ethical issue so I feel as spiritual practitioners that we have an ethical requirement really to to open our minds and hearts to the situation that is going on. And to really take in the, the enormity of it, the pain of it, the sorrow that comes with it, and to let that touch us and, and motivate us to respond in a skillful and active way. And I also feel that this, this dilemma that we are all in is is a deeply spiritual matter. You know, we are, as the Buddha points out so clearly, we are interconnected, we are into being, we are interconnected with everything on this earth, in this universe, and the situation that we are now in, that Lou can speak about in more Scientific detail later on, but you know, the situation that we are all in is partly natural and, to a large degree, the makings of our human greed, hatred, and delusion that has that has been going rife for so long. And uh, you know, because this is uh, this is now just so deeply ingrained on a corporate level and on a political level, it's uh, it's very, it feels sometimes overwhelming and and You know, how can we ever do anything to change this, how can we meet this? So, a number of people have written in questions asking, you know, are are feeling angry, feeling overwhelmed, and feeling frustrated that their communities, their sanghas, don't speak about climate change, feeling isolated. And uh, I think it's very important to to look at all of these, these questions. So we are in a position, in a situation where the those who hold the greatest power are, you know, fully fully motivated by greed and are not at all aware or not at all conscious of the consequences even for their own families, let alone the rest of this
0: planet Earth.
2: And that can bring us feelings of hopelessness, of rage, of fear, of um, impotence. So I feel it's very important that we we recognise that each of us, first of all, that each of us is part of this, the creation of this situation. So it's you know, as long as we put everything out onto somebody else, we remain as victims and we remain kind of impotent. But it, you know, I think there's probably nobody on this call who hasn't driven in a car, hasn't, you know, ridden on a plane, hasn't used plastic. You know, we, we've, we're all part of this in our little ways. We are, we are all part of this, or maybe some bigger ways. And uh, so first of all, just to acknowledge, we are all, we've all contributed to this. You know, we're all part of this, the creation of this situation that we're in, this rather disastrous situation that we're in. And we can all... Do something to start to turn the tides. And as long as we think it's, it's got to be somebody else out there, we we keep ourselves stuck. We keep the whole situation stuck because it's the people who are creaming off the benefits, the short-term benefits, are not motivated to change. So we need to take on the the truth of, of our you know our all having been part of this and. You know, feel the, the sorrow of that and the wish to really be motivated to do something to turn sides in, in the right direction. And also, you know, it's inevitable that there will be a fear, there will be anger. And these are, this is energy. You know, fear is energy that's, that's trapped. Anger is energy that's pushing against something else. But we can use this with mindfulness, we can use this energy as as powerful energy for transformation to um, be actively involved in in whatever way each individual who's listening, each individual who's motivated, in whichever way we feel we can make a change. So it doesn't matter if we're young or old or able-bodied or highly intellectual or or simple, or um, doesn't matter what our, our qualities are, we each have uh, something to bring to this situation. And I, I want to just you know, mention like, we are, we think of, often think of nature as being something outside of ourselves. We go into nature, but we are nature, we are part of nature. And nature is diverse, and it, and it is responsive, and it is creative, and it is totally interconnected. So, you know, each of us are part of this. It's not that one of us has to change the world, but each of us have to do our, find what our part is and do that, whether it's speaking out, whether it's going out on the streets to demonstrate, whether it's developing alternative energies, whatever it may be, being, you know, getting into politics, whatever it may be. We need to just really connect with and look at how can I make a difference. Not to be afraid to speak up. You know, if, if your sangha doesn't want to talk about climate change, don't be afraid to speak up. Look at, look into questions like why, why is there the inertia? Why is there the resistance? Because this is not other than our practice. This is the context within which our practice is happening. We're trying to meditate and develop a calm mind. You know, in a room that is burning we're not going to get very far. We've got to first of all look at the situation, respond to that, use our wisdom and and our right action to respond to the situation we're in as best as we can. And uh, I've also spoken to a number of people who have been involved in climate action for many years and are starting to feel oh you know I just don't know, it's just not going anywhere, I feel hopeless and I just want to really encourage everyone. Please, if those feelings arise, don't don't be stopped by them. Don't believe in them, because you know if we all give up, then of course you know it is kind of hopeless. But we we each have a possibility to influence, and through calls like this, and through talking in your communities, and through bringing up. The issue, not in a fundamentalist way or in a way that turns people off, but just bring it, bring it into consciousness. The, the issues of climate change and of, of the the ways that we can influence that, just by connecting with each other, we start to create a strong force. So, who knows? You know where we are in the scheme of things. We don't know if if. Uh, we can make great changes and, and all will be well. We don't know if, if we are too late. We don't know whether there's just like a little avenue within which we can just get through. We don't know, but we still have to motivate. motivated. We have to respond to the reality of the situation. And some people also in the, in the Dharma community say, well, you know, everything changes, all arises and passes away, you know. So why get involved? And that's a little bit like you know having a mother or grandmother who's who's ageing and saying, well, you know, she's going to die anyway, so why bother? But we don't say that. We say, oh, she's precious. She's she's, she's given so much. Want to make sure she's cared for. Now, whether, you know, make sure her years are comfortable, make sure she's respected, loved. And it's the same with our Mother Earth, you know, if we just say, oh well, it all arises and ceases. It's artless response. It doesn't bring in the the compassion the Buddha so clearly lived and taught. So, I so just really want to encourage everyone to not be bound by fears or doubts, or or and not be trapped by anger, but to use those, to use the energy of fear and anger with awareness to motivate you, to focus that energy and, and move it into action, and to get past the doubts and just them, just respond, do do what you can, speak out, act, do what you can.
0: Beautiful words, Ayananda Bodhi, and a beautiful reminder, and and as I listen, it really brings me into my body and into my heart, and I can feel a sense of softening and opening and connection and um, tenderness, um, and that beautiful sense of our mother, our mother earth, like a grandmother, all that she's given. Thank you so much uh, for that nourishing support. So, um, if I may introduce, I'm uh, so grateful, Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams um, is able to join us, and her work is so important and so meaningful. I listened to Reverend Angel recently at a, a Shambhala Center after the People's Climate March in New York and was incredibly moved and motivated from hearing hearing her words. So, Reverend Angel, we're so grateful you can be with us today. Thank you. Hi. Thank you.
3: Um, so. you. Um really, as Aya said, uh, really uh, deeply moved that this is happening, and and I think many of us have uh, been in places and have had experience such that we feel like it's long overdue, and at the same time, all of the people uh, that have chosen to participate in this call, and particularly the organizers, are... Uh, really, I think, at the t- a turning point, an incredibly point, uh, important turning point in uh, what is a significant um, crisis facing all of us. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Um, I want to just um, c- continue with what Aya was already speaking about uh, so beautifully, um, and particularly the um, aspect that she referenced is our the human contribution to climate change. Um, as many people know, there's a lot of discussion or had been a lot of discussion about how much of this is natural and how much of it is uh, contributed by human beings, and there was uh, some degree of debate about that. And, you know, now clearly the science has come out and from many, many, many different directions uh, that shows that overwhelmingly the contribution is human. It's a human interference uh, with natural patterns. And in terms of the social aspect, I think one of the things that we're often also are not speaking of uh, sufficiently is not only is that human um, contribution being being made and, and really um, significantly impacting the environment and our habitat so that we have a place to live in a good connection with all other beings on the planet but that that but our contribution, so as Aya said, we all are, have you know, driven cars and we've used plastic bottles and those kinds of things. But at the root, the de- degree of overconsumption that humans have contributed on this planet has been a result of... Uh, those kinds of poisons that afflict us, greed, anger, and ignorance, and I wanted to speak about them quickly in terms of looking at greed as very specifically the the form and the dominance of hyper-capitalism that uh, the West has contributed uh, to most specifically in the form of colonialism over the last 500 years that has Continued to morph. And that form of not trade, I'm not saying that we shouldn't trade amongst human beings, but rather the hypercapitalism that places value, arbitrary values, on human beings, on planetary resources, is really very much the greed that is at the root of this drive to overconsume way beyond what is needed, way beyond what helps us to thrive as human beings, and it has uh, also at its base a kind of fundamental anger in it, in which it places different peoples at different levels of society, depending on what is seen as their value. Are they contributors of labor? Are they to be bought and sold? Uh, and as a result, we ended up with a um, structure that, su- that makes superior the white race over other races and then divides people all along those races. So we're really dealing with, um, for many people, not in an overt raci- being, you know, uh, racialized view in their lives where they're just walking around being racist in an overt way, but rather we're all contributing and all part of a structure that, again, anger and separation is at the root of, that divides people. And when we're not able to look at that clearly and see it for what it is, through the lens of our practice, what we unwittingly contribute to this structure that keeps us divided and is designed to continue those institutions and structures of um, marginalizations of some people, uh, constant depriving of access to resources to other people, and, um, of course, you know, just ordinary uh, unconscious bias that pervades all of our lives. And then finally, in the form of ignorance, all of that is only able to come forth because we are experiencing, I think, in a way that is unprecedented, a very, very deep disconnect from our planet from other peoples as a result of these systems, as a result of these structures, as a result of these institutionalized and um, very, very um, insidious forms of racism and superiority that are designed, again, to keep us separated so that we're not questioning the kind of uh, valuation of people and planet that contributes to our resources being consumed in such a way that enables a very very small group of people to stay in an elite status at the cost of each of our own hearts each of our own ability to truly meet one another heart to heart mind to mind because we're carrying these sense these these Um, seeds of bias, these seeds of discrimination, these seeds of confusion, um, ways of looking at each other that is suspicious, all of it seeded there because of the greed, because of the ways in which those folks that are operating in that place are unable to see clearly or, you know, I don't know, perhaps don't care. The degree to which they're continue to per- continuing to perpetuate suffering. One of the things that I um, am most um, gratified, feel most gratified about in terms of the Buddhist community looking at these issues, is that I feel that we do have a set of teachings before us that will that gives us lenses through which we can look just as I just spoke about the three poisons, that those lenses are available to us, provides us as a larger sangha the opportunity to not only take up our individual practices and say, oh, okay, I'm contributing to climate change. I'm contributing to a racialized superiority system of superiority that keeps some people specifically behind and ultimately will have a faster, greater impact on large groups of society that have been held as inferior and, and are kept without access to resources. Not only can I do that as a result of these teachings, but we have, a, I think, a very, very specifically. Unique, uh, not only opportunity but also responsibility, as a larger community, to begin to look at how we, as people that are practicing these teachings, that are really bringing them to heart and seeking to embody them in our actual lives and how we live, to now to begin to respond more collectively, to begin to have the kinds of conversations about the root issues that have contributed to climate change climate change is a manifestation is a tangible increasingly palpable tangible manifestation of behaviors and um, social a social ego construct if you will that has been going on for hundreds and and hundreds of years. And I think that at this time, what we're presented with is not only an opportunity to look at climate change, which completely makes sense and makes sense that our attention is turned there, but as is in concert with the nature of our practice that we choose to say, this is the behavior that I'm seeing. These are the outcomes that I'm seeing what is at the root, what is at the root and how do I get right down to the root as painful as that may be, as disconcerting as it may be, as overwhelming as it may be to be confronted with the ways in which I have not seen or been able to respond to these things before And I would say that would be true for us as sanghas as well. Um, And more importantly, I would say to go further, that what is required and what would be most useful is that because we get to look at these things through a lens of shared teachings, that we finally have the opportunity to really utilize the notion of sangha in the way that I think it has, it is always meant to have been used, which is not merely as a group of people that we do things with, which I think is not always, but often the case in many uh, sanghas that are more like fellowship in our, uh, particularly in in the West, in America and the the Western part of the world, but actually begin to Rethink, reimagine the utilization and the relationship that we have to Sangha as a whole, as a community of people that we are in heart with, getting down to the root of the things that impact us all, and doing that in such a way that we are able to support one another, that we are able to. Um, actually pull back on the hyper individualized ways that we draw from the western society and construct. Mm. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Wow, fantastic. Thank you so much, Reverend Angel, for your words. Um I really really feel so this so so much work um, in uh, the invitation to really go so much more deeply into the work. Um, to look at the systemic level of the colonial mindset that we have somehow all been seeded within. It's, it's like decolonizing our heart and mind so that we can come into this deeper relationship and out of the brutality of that colonized place. Uh, brutality against others, marginalized people of color, and ourselves, our own hearts and bodies and minds, and of course the earth and this wonderful invitation into where we have to go, this deep heart of Sangha, you know reclaiming and healing the soul of Sangha, where is a deeper web of life. Thank you so much for for opening those doors for us and um inviting us deeper into that that piece of work um, so our last uh, teacher this morning and presenter is a a person of great warm heart uh, who's who does wonderful work and feels so deeply with the wilderness, works in the wilderness and teaches meditation, does wilderness retreats. I'd like to warmly welcome Susie and invite you to contribute to our conversation. Thank you so much for being with us, Susie.
4: Thank you so much, Tanisara, and thank you so much, Aya, and Reverend, for what you have offered. I'm so... uh, as we all move into this, and as you were talking, Reverend, I was thinking of a friend of mine, Terry Tempest Williams, who lives in our community and who has been speaking out for the earth for a long time. And I remember her once saying, Somebody said to her, You are married to sorrow. And she said, No, I just don't choose to look away. My curiosity is greater than my fear. And I feel like that's what we're doing right now. We're saying, okay, we choose not to look away. And I think that in itself is a huge shift. What we're doing is very much an extension of our practice because it's saying that we prefer and are willing to step into truth. And that's that's what the Buddha was pointing to over and over again is it's the truth that will free us not our wishes, not our ideas, not our isolation. So I'm just so grateful to all of us stepping into that truth together.
5: Mm. And one of
4: the pieces that I want to bring in is the outsourcing, as Reverend Angel talked about, the outsourcing of the cost of our actions that's outsourced socially and how we've split ourselves in classes as a result. And another place that we've outsourced it is environmentally. And the extraction of the resources that we burn that are creating the climate change, those resources, as they've been extracted, as we all know, have impacted oceans, rivers, and uh, people and animals all over the world. And I'm very... um, Aware of that, where I live in southeastern Utah, 35% of the land here, roughly 35%, is leased to gas and oil industries and is potentially open to development. And a lot of it is being developed. And then, even more, um, I want to say really scary, is uh, up n- about three hours north of where I live on the border of our county. Has just opened the first oil sand development in the U.S. It opened by the the Canadian company that developed in Alberta. It it's developed it in Alberta is involved in starting it here. And if you don't know about oil sands, I really encourage you to inform yourself. You can go to the web and look up Alberta's sands, Alberta oil sands. Uh, you put in Joanna Macy's name, and you'll see a YouTube of a flyover of it. It is an incredibly devastating form of extraction. You basically are leaving behind a wasteland, a black, lifeless wasteland. Nothing can grow there. It's, it's, um, it in, has impacted the water in Alberta, uh, people downstream have been told not to drink the water. It's, and now it's starting here. And it's in a very remote, wild, beautiful place on the north edge of a county that has 10,000 people. Those, the people here are not going to be able to provide sufficient resistance to stop that going to require a much greater level of awareness and activity. And if the impact will be on that land directly, but what they're expecting to get out of it 20 years from now, they hope to get 40 to 60 million barrels a day. And Lou could contact that for us later, but that is enough in and of itself. It will tip the climate over. It. it It is a huge amount of um, carbon dioxide being proposed to put in the air. What we do, you know, how, how people can respond and act to that, you know, the XL pipeline that has been fairly effectively at this point stopped has had an impact by stopping the infrastructure. People it's so important that we move out of the idea that we can't have impact because we are having impact and there's things that need to be responded to. One of the things that I'm so aware of in our spiritual practice as I talk about these things and as we all share and step into this is that we have the idea that we come to our spiritual practice a lot of times for relief, for ease, for happiness. Um... And as Aya Nanda Bodhi said so clearly, it's like trying to have a calm mind in a room that is burning. What frees us, what we really need, is the truth. And that involves being willing to step in. So Yul Rinpoche says, the unbroken receptivity to truth. Gloria Steinman says, the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. And I want to propose that the truth will set us free, but first it will break our hearts. And so it's easy as we feel into that and we acknowledge where we are, it's so easy to feel a personal sense of overwhelm. And I, Ananda Bodhi, spoke to this and I want to say more about it because I think it's the thing that holds us back, that locks us in so that we don't move and we're in a time when movement is so important. And the overwhelm, when we see the depth and breadth of what's happening, is a um, movement towards collapse and separation and we so need to move instead towards connection when we believe in the illusion of self when we're not seeing clearly in that way the world becomes a cause a separate thing and instead it's like tending to our own our own wounds and the wounds of those that we love that are right here Oh, there's a, Einstein has this beautiful, a quote from Einstein that's so beautiful. He says, a human being is a part of the whole, called by us universe, a part limited in time and space. We experience ourselves, our thoughts and feelings as something separate from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of our consciousness. This delusion is really a prison for us, restricting us to personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest us. Our path must be to free ourselves from this prison by expanding our circle of understanding and compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature and its beauty. Our wise scientist ancestor, they are pointing so clearly to that our it's these expanding circles, our ability to see harm and to desire to not do harm, that is so much bigger than our small self. And as we can move into that and feel our connection, then the the alternative to overwhelm is compassion. That that is what allows us to move and not get collapsed and uh, stuck. And one of the things that helps us so much that I'm so grateful for is being in nature, connecting to what's here. And Tara last week spoke to that beautifully, taking time to connect. And really willing to value truth more than our comfort. Letting go of the resistance and the denial and being willing to feel our emotions, as um, Aya spoke to. Joanna Macy speaks beautifully at this, of being willing to connect and to cry for our planet, to feel rage about it. And she says, it is a measure of your open heart. As your heart breaks open, there will be room for the world to heal. And that feels so true to me. I know it's been, I allow, I know it's mattered to me a lot to allow my heart to break over and over again and to feel touched. And that allows us to love in every movement, everything that has ever changed in a way that is wholesome has to come from love. And from this compassion that moves us, what can we envision? How can we move? What What's possible? One of the things that Reverend Angel spoke to so beautifully is that we are... I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second. Um, Angel
0: spoke to so beautifully.
4: Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Um, but what we um, this is not just going to speak about climate. It's changing everything in a way that is so much more whole and real, looking local, doing things that empower people, not corporations, moving away from consumption, connecting Mm. with each other. This is about, this is allowing us to move. It's encouraging us to move in a way that is towards the good, the deepest good, rather than um, some idea that we have to, that it's a, um, that we're being cut off, that we're not going to get what we want. That idea comes from a sense of greed that is lo- losing and not in touch with it, what is most important. And then, one of the things that moves us so much out of overwhelm is to do something, to acknowledge what you're already doing. I think it's really like in our practice we know what we know, you're doing what you're doing, and then keep moving. Do more. That we, our love will always have more capacity. What else can you do? What's possible? You know Can you spend more time in some way being creative with other people and changing the system, changing your habits, sharing with others? This whole movement of, I feel like, is all about the precept of not doing harm. There's a local, locally here we have a soil called cryptobiotic soil that grows all on the sand and it's critical, it holds together the sand and it's the starting point from which other plants grow. And if you don't know about it, at first if you walk on it, it gives this crunching sound, it's kind of interesting. But then as you learn about the harm that your footsteps and the long-term effect of your footsteps on the crust, to step on it is painful. And I think we're in that step of adjusting and understanding the impact of our steps and how to adjust what, how we walk and where we walk in order to be sensitive to, the, to all beings everywhere. And we don't have to do this alone. Yeah, thank you. We don't have to do this alone. We're part of a whole movement. We don't need to feel alone. And I just want to mention there's two sources that I want to... um, If you go to... uh, Carrie Nelson has been doing work with groups for a while to help people move in their community. And if you go to placeforpeace.org. And there's also a sustainable world source book um, that you can just put that into Google that is just full of ideas of how you can work, do things in your community with other people. And it's Thank going to be this. messy. We don't know how to do this. So
0: we Thank just you have you. to
4: start doing it.
0: Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Tanisha. Thank you so much for those suggestions. And, I, and just to let people know that we'll capture all of the um, resources and we'll be posting those out. and uh, Susie, uh, beautiful words and that, that whole sense of living and being, having the courage to live the truth, you know, and even as it breaks our heart, and even, even in that process moves us to a deeper level of compassion and engagement and, uh, you know, applying that to what we can do small and big ways. We all can do something and uh, the, the urgency of the times calls us to act. So uh, thank you. So I'd just uh, like to invite everyone, let's just take another deep breath just to absorb and feel the goodness of these words from our teachers um, that have been offered to us and the power and the, um, the empowerment of them to us. Let's just take a, a breath and a moment. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Susie. Thank you, Reverend Angel. Thank you, Ian and Bodhi. Um, and before we, we're going to move into breakout groups to discuss together. But before we do that, I'd just like to uh, invite Lou uh, back into the call. And uh, Lou, and particularly in what Susie was saying about the tar sands and what's happening, do you have anything to contribute from your perspective around that?
1: Hi, Jennifer, thank you. I'm worried that my connection might not be great, so perhaps I could share at the beginning of the full Q&A just to oh, give us a chance of being heard. Your
0: connection's good. Your connection's good now. It's good. Is Go it, for it. Yeah.
1: Okay. So just quickly, I think uh, you know one of the important things to um, to remember is that in order for us to stay below the temperature threshold that scientists tell us um, are going to have, um, you know, the greatest danger, places where we're going to really start to hit tipping points. Um, we have a limited uh, budget, a limited amount of, of carbon dioxide and, and, and other gases that we can emit into the atmosphere. And, and the thing about tar sands is it is such a carbon-intensive um, energy source in addition to all of the other, um, you know, horrible impacts to the earth and to the First Nations um, people uh, in Alberta. Um, it, it, it's very carbon intensive, and it and it actually produces a fuel uh, oil that that is also um, you know largely used by um, by wealthier um, segments of of the world's population, and it leaves us very um, little uh, room in that budget for um, things like electricity and energy to cook um, kind of basic needs for uh, for all people. Um, it just uh, to give you a couple of other numbers, um, if the tar sands that are currently um, uh, you know, being extracted in Alberta were all to be extracted and, and burned, they would use up half of the remaining uh, budget that we have in the atmosphere. Um, and that would leave us only about eight years of, of CO2 before we were to start hitting some of those very dangerous uh, tipping points. So, um, uh, you know, thinking about the um, those kinds of, um, you know, impacts uh, from tar sands as well as, um, you know, other other sources of energy are really, uh, it's important to understand both the impact they have on the atmosphere, but also um, how they benefit um, you know, the, the wealthier, more powerful um, segments of society uh, versus the energy needs of, of the poor.
0: Mm. I'll
1: stop there. Thank you.
0: Well, that's very, that's very clear. And, and as I'm listening to you, it's really important for us to educate ourselves. And one of the things that we'll be moving to post our series of calls is an EcoSat for training. And as a, a mindfulness Dharma Buddhist collective, we want to really get behind some of the actions happening and support um, our challenge to things like the Tar Sands and other issues that are going on. So we want to translate our engagement into actual action and, and connect and join other groups. So, um, so let's just leave it there for now. And I think at this point in our call, we're going to move into breakout groups. So I'm going to just hand over to Kristen to to guide us in that process and the theme that we're going to look at when we go into our groups um, and discuss together, and Kristen will will say a few words about that and encourage you to, to stay for this process. Of course, if you don't feel comfortable and just we would like to meditate through the next 10-15 uh, minutes while we go into discussion, that's quite fine too. But if you go into the breakout groups and I encourage that, then we're just going to discuss together where are you in response to the teacher's input? What touches you and you know, where, where do you feel moved to talk from? So that will be our theme. So Kristen, if I can hand over to you to guide us into the next process and Barry supporting that. Thank you so much. Mm,
6: thank you, Tantrā, and greetings, everyone. Um, as the other co-founder of One Earth Sangha, I have to say, it's just such an honor and privilege to be with you on these calls. Um, and I'm especially excited that we can support the ability for, as Susie was saying, move into closer and closer connection, actually connect with others um, on this call um, around the issues that we've discussed so far. So we're inviting you to share in these breakout groups and we'll run it. We'll make it all happen for you. Uh, what is arising for you? What is your response to the teachers' input so far? Was there anything in particular that touched you and then um, offer this you know sacred space for others to share and 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 let that in um, so This, I think, we see as the cultivation of Sangha, you know, it's something that we um, feel is so vital. Okay, Um, welcome back, everyone. Um, Thank you for uh, taking that moment to either explore this internally or uh, with other participants on this global call. So we're going to move into the Q&A session now. And so, if you have a question that you'd like to ask into the full field here, you can press the number 1 on your phone keypad, or your Skype keypad, or MC dialer keypad, again, not your keyboard. Uh, I would just ask, with so many of us on the call, we'll ask you to keep that question brief. Uh, You know, don't feel too constrained, but just know that, you know, we'll try to get to as many people as, as possible, so keep it as brief as possible. All right. So, if you have a question, um, go ahead and press one on your phone keypad. Oh, this is great. So, we've got some questions. This is terrific. So, all right. Uh, let's start with. Uh, let's start with George. Um, George, go ahead and, and share with us, uh, George. What is your What is your question?
1: Yes. Can you hear me?
6: Yes, George can go you're, you're live
1: okay, great. Um, thank you. I wasn't on the call last week um, and I was just wondering, I think I saw on the email sent that there's some type of a educational um, program coming forward from maybe it's from one earth um, and I just wondered if that's true beyond beyond these uh, series of calls is there other materials that's being prepared?
6: Great. Yes. Um, Tanisra, would you like to speak to that?
0: Uh, yes. Um, we are aiming to uh, launch a training which will uh, launch uh, April 22nd, Earth Day next year, we'll called the EcoSat for Training. It will be a three-month-long training, and um, you'll hear more about it before the end of this series of calls, and if you're on the mailing list, you'll get updates about that.
1: Great. Okay. Yeah, thanks. That's exactly what I wanted to... So, so we'll get something
0: yeah, further on yeah. it. Sure, okay. absolutely. Sure.
6: thank you. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you, Jeffrey. Um, so now let's go to um, Canada, um, Vanessa. Vanessa, welcome. It's, it's good to have you join us, and, and what is your question?
5: Hi there. Um, my question is about um, how to engage, you know, this call has kind of had some focus on, on the equity issues underlying climate change, and I certainly think that, There's a lot of us probably on this call, and certainly in our circles, who have more power than they think, either just socioeconomically or in their communities. And yet, when the issue tries to, when climate change really threatens people's fundamental sense of being in the world, it's very hard for people to face it and lean into the issue. And so I do a lot of social advocacy work in healthcare myself, and I find that there is some resistance to uh, addressing the issue and being willing to talk about it openly um, because of the, I think, personal threat that people feel to the choices they make in in life and uh, to their way of being in the world. And uh, I wonder about how to engage people um, in conversation and in action um, in a way that is non-threatening and... um, and can help people, I guess, manifest the power and influence they have for making right. uh, change and demanding political change, especially in our very conservative uh, political culture in Canada right now.
6: Right, right. Um, uh, Aya Anandabody, would you like to take that question?
2: Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's something that we, we all meet, uh, because it is a huge threat to our way of living to, to actually take in the... You know the reality of the situation—the bigger situation. I would say um, it can be a very slow process to try to convince people who are really not open, and uh, it it may be more fruitful for you personally to to be involved in in like larger social actions. So there was the the climate, the people's climate march on September 21st, for example, which was a, which was a big movement, and there are. There's a, a, a very, uh, like, an international group called 350.org, who organise events. You know, for you personally to get involved in things, and and then let that uh, come up in conversation. You know, as an exa- be an example, rather than try to try to convince people, because it is very difficult to cool. convince. And also, uh, w- one thing I've found quite helpful is, is through. Something through visual imagery is very helpful. For it. There's a there's an artist called Chris Jordan uh, from Seattle, and he has done an extraordinary um, number of photographs. He has a, a website, and which show consumerism, the effects of our consumerism, and also the effects on on particularly on albatross uh, of the way we use plastic and discard of plastic. And when people see those images, it kind of wakes it wakes something up in you. So. Uh, so then, it's not like having to convince somebody, but but just like showing them that this is actually what's happening. This is the result of our actions. So that's what I would suggest. Right. That okay. Does that help in any anyway?
0: right. uh, Go for it, uh, Let's uh, Take one more question. We have time for one yeah. more. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll just we'll go on. Um, yeah, So,
6: uh, how about Emily? Emily Shaw, um, what is your question, Emily? We just have time for one more. Um, hi, so I was wondering, my question was actually pretty similar to the last one. Um, so you can choose someone else if you'd like to. Um, actually, maybe, you know, because it is such a challenge for so many of us is, is, is working with, um, you know, uh Environments that are not receptive. Uh, I just wonder, R- Reverend Angel, would you like to speak to that at
3: all? Yeah, sure, Emily. Would you like to say what your question is specifically? Is it
2: similar, maybe different. Um, say, go
6: ahead. I haven't been, I haven't been involved in um, climate action groups, but I would like to be, and I'm a little bit afraid that it's going to be really, really intense and, and maybe the, the culture of the group would um, kind of be very pressuring um, for kind of people who are just sort of entering that space. Um, I guess I'm curious about kind of the really strong divide it feels like there is between activism and just regular people who don't even talk about these issues.
3: Yeah. Uh, so Uh, This is Reverend Angel, and um, it's it's a good question for me. I'm involved and have been uh, sitting on the board of and engaged uh, with a green organization for uh, 10 years now, and um, I think there are many groups to choose from. So I I think that I'll say, like off the top, I think a lot of um, environmental organizations have changed their tone um, over time, and so uh, I think a lot of the sort of Um, antagonism and intensity has actually shifted because all of us have seen that um, overwhelming people more is not necessarily the best strategy, so I think that that is the conversation that's actually happening very actively amongst climate groups. Um, I'm also a sit with a bunch of folks that are part of the 30 30 big green groups in the country, so we really see there's a big conversation shift about what the approach is. Um, that said, I think that, you know, like anything else, even like Sanga, it is a kind of community you're going to belong to, and so finding a good fit is uh, what's important, and there are many, many organizations that are doing work um, out there, and they do it in ways that are actually really uplifting and also effective. They're um, are trying to approach the work in a way that. Really is starting to include the reality that all of us have to actually live here together, and that merely an antagonistic way of being isn't going to actually isn't going to respond. Um, I would say find something that's close to your heart um, in terms of issues and start there. It's the easiest place to enter. Um, I'd also add to the list of resources. There's a, a stunning site that was done by the um, designer Maya Lin, who designed the uh, Vietnam Memorial many years ago when she was 21. It's called whatishappening.net. I encourage everyone wherever you are in the world to go and visit that site because it gives you a very interactive way in which to not only see what's happening in different places of the world, but also to make contributions of your own to recognize uh, losses that you may have observed or actions that your community may be taking. And I just want to say the last thing is that um, in the Buddhist communities we're often very concerned about the um, challenging people and finding ways to do things that are not threatening. And I think that what we're up against is something that is fundamentally threatening and that's actually what is what people are responding to is that there is a fundamental threat uh, to our our lives on this planet and that gets papered over by the threat of, like, the lives that we're living in this particular moment. And so I would encourage us to be a little more, take more risks because we're in, we're, we're close to an edge and to not be risky about what, about getting um, across to people, not in a way that's aggressive. But to recognize that to be threatening in the sense of, yes, we are, just as our practice does, it threatens the ego and it threatens the way in which we see ourselves and have constructed ourselves. Uh, and this issue is similarly like that. And that is part of the work. And so entering it into, uh, I think if you're in your own heart, are you're all entering into from a space of, our, of love. And... Uh, really recognizing how important it is to us but that our views are our views that we can find our way and that the most important is that we begin to have the conversation and that we are no longer in a place that we can afford to not have these conversations so whatever mm. the risk is I think we need to take it
0: That's wonderful, I, I, I couldn't agree more Reverend, and, and thank, you, thank you so much um, this is a Pretty much the the um, getting to the point of our wrap up for our conversation today. We have a uh, a few more minutes, um, and in that time, I'd like to first of all again thank everyone for your contribution, both uh, our our wonderful teachers and the team that's enabled this Maestro conference, and for each and every one of you as participants. The conversation will continue. We'll have our presenters next week will be Jamie Baraz, Catherine McGee, and Chris Cullen, each doing wonderful and amazing work, profound work. Please join us next Sunday at the same time. Um, I've already mentioned and will continue to mention that we'll be moving towards developing a course to launch that next year on the platform from One Earth Sangha. And I'd also like to encourage you to please to check out the Dana page on One Earth Sangha. You can go to oneearthsangha.org and choose the support our work menu and go there to please make a contribution to help us maintain and continue this conversation, continue this work and, and to continue to grow One Earth Sangha. Um, And I'd also just like to invite um, Barry from our host, Maestro Conference, who's been doing wonderful work to really help this happen. Barry, could you just uh, say a little bit about Maestro as a platform for other organizations if they wish to use it or other um, conference calls?
4: Sure. Thanks, Tanisra. Maestro Conference is an amazing engagement tool, as you got to experience today um, with um, breakouts. They do polling and it makes for a very robust engagement. So if any of you would like to know more about Meister Conference, you can press one on your keypad. Meister Conference will send you a gentle email with some information about the features and benefits, and they also have a free trial if you're interested. And so simply press one now on your keypad if you're interested, and we'll um, get that information to you. Thank you, Tanisha, back to you.
0: Uh, thank you so much. Uh, so I think uh, just again to take a deep breath and really absorb Everything that we've been with this hour and a half together, and I'd like to to help us with that to invite Aya the Bodhi, please, to uh, share the blessings in a prayerful way as we finish our call today.
2: Let's just take a moment to connect with this body, with our bodies sitting on the earth, around beneath us and the space above and around us. To feel the interconnection with everyone else here who's called in today, and with all living beings on this planet Earth. Just just taking in the beauty of this Earth, the preciousness, the connection, relationship that we have with each other. Letting that touch and fill our hearts. Recognizing our incredible good fortune in coming across the Dharma in our lives, having a chance to practice. Connecting with the heart, feeling the punya, the goodness, the good energy that comes through our awakening, our wholesome intentions, the actions that we do in the world for the benefit of others, for the benefit of all beings. I'd like for you just to invite you to share in all directions the good energy, the good intentions benefit of all beings, those who are friendly, those who are indifferent, those who are hostile, those who are helping, those who are harming. May all receive the blessings of our practice that they may realize the true nature be of benefit in this world.
0: Thank you so much. Again, thank you. Thank you again to everyone and look forward to connecting up with you next Sunday Um, and to remind you that we have the Facebook group to continue the discussion. Thank you so much. Goodbye.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.